fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Hey, welcome into the program. It's the Thursday, greatest day of the week, pre-Friday celebration, ready to rock and roll for a whole nother day. How's it going? Always appreciate you joining us on the program here, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. But we are all over the place, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you hang out with us here on the show every day, we love you to death. Thank you so much. Can you believe we are down quarter number one of uh, 2023? Quarter number one, man. It's all flown by. March all wrapped up and done after tomorrow, going into a weekend, uh, Saturday, April Fool's Day. And I don't know if anybody knows the actual history of April Fool's, but uh, it's a day where we get to pull pranks on people, so that's fun. Unfortunately, it's on a weekend where I don't get to do it here on the radio because that's one of my favorite days to pull prank on individuals on the radio. I've had, I've gotten you a couple times, maybe, allegedly, supposedly, I don't know, doesn't matter. Bottom of the hour, Congressman Bob Latta, he's from the 5th District of Ohio, he'll join us to chat about what's going on in Washington, D.C. We have hearings on TikTok. We have the economy. We have agricultural stuff. We have China. We have Russia. Got a lot to talk about with him. As usual, the interview went way longer than expected, so we'll play part of that on the show here. We'll have the additional part of it as our special feature as an additional podcast upload where you can listen to it unedited, unscripted, un. Uh, produced in any way, just raw, right for you to listen to it and hear exactly what he has to say. And you can get all the scoop, and I highly recommend that you do because it's a lot of great information. Uh, where to go today, man? There's a lot of stuff going on. We have some updates from the Nashville shooter. I don't want to talk about that yet because obviously that's been a uh, point of conversation for the last few days. Let's take a break from that from just a second. But as usual, we can t- literally time these guys out from the other side on exactly what they're going to do, how they're going to attack, and their approach of what they're going to do to address the issues. We already know their playbook, and it's getting boring. We totally get it. So we'll do that here in just a little bit. I do want to talk about one of our favoritest people on the program here. I am told this is a garbage disposal. <laughs> The, I've never uh, seen a garbage well, oh, disposal. That's right, yeah. I never had one in any place I've ever lived. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. is terrifying. I don't know what to use it for or what its purpose is. Like food scraps? Like is this environmentally sound? I don't know. Our very favorite, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, back at it again, where she's been hiding from certain individuals. This was on Fox News and on Tucker last night. I thought it was kind of entertaining. There is a one more reason why we need to keep TikTok around. There's a group called Liberals of TikTok where they just show liberal outbursts of rage and emotion from the other side, and they post it to show how ridiculous and absurd these individuals are. And the gal that runs this, what is her name? Uh, uh, Chaya Radchik? Radchik? I believe is how you pronounce her name, as she was apparently accused by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez during a congressional hearing of lying in quote-unquote misinformation because obviously it's a conservative site, so therefore it must be lying in just fake news across the board. But AOC made a claim during a congressional uh, committee that the channel liberals of TikTok lie and was using the case about some type of hysterectomy that doctors had performed on a child, which is very sad and heartbreaking if it was unneeded in some way, shape, or form. But because of that, the head of this Libs of TikTok creator 
went to Washington, D.C. to try to confront Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and didn't quite work out because AOC didn't want anything to do with her. So I am right outside the Cannon Building and I'm going to go inside and hopefully meet AOC and ask her why she lied about me and get some answers. I don't think anyone's here. Is the congresswoman in? No, she's not. Okay. Is the person who's in charge of her tech policy in? No. Okay. Yeah, so basically, she lied about me on the House floor a couple of weeks ago. So I just wanted to ask her why she lied about me. Okay. Give me one second. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I don't think we're going to get to talk to her. We don't, I don't know if, if she's in or not, but I think that that door slam was really telling. So I don't think they want to talk to us. Dear AOC, please don't lie about American citizens. Love, Chaya. Chaya is how you pronounce her name. Uh, that audio from Fox News, by the way, that was on Tucker last night. This is why we need social media. By the way, this is why we need to have the social media, especially or uh, social media like TikTok, because with how many young individuals use these social media sites and then they seeing different content like this is kind of hilarious to watch. But AOC back at it because she's been one advocating for the censoring of a lot of social media, not just TikTok, but going after uh, sites like Parler, going after sites like Truth Social, going after sites like Rumble, going after sites that are kind of the alternative ones that we've talked about that most conservatives are on it now since they don't have a voice on the other ones. And she's advocating for the banning of all those, except for, of course, TikTok, with the one concern we have about that, which is China, and the fact that, well, she's totally okay with that one, which, again, we need it, and I'm okay with it as well, but not for the same reasons as her. The head of this created uh, this channel was on Tucker Carlson as well, talking about the incident. And she is unfortunately protected by legislative privilege. So she is allowed to lie about me in a committee hearing. Um, and not just that, but she's using her position of power to call on big tech to censor people who she disagrees with. That's what she did in the hearing. And that is really scary. Kind of strange, isn't it, when you have a, congr- a congressperson who is immune from uh, being called out for lying. They can lie and do anything they want to. Now, if we lie to the federal government, we go to jail. If we lie on our taxes, if we lie under you know the court of law, if we lie when we put our hands on the Bible and we swear during court hearings, we if, if we lie, we get in trouble. Congress people who literally say that they're upholding the Constitution by putting their hand on a Bible, putting their hand in the air and swearing, they can still lie and they're immune from getting in trouble when they lie about private citizens, which I find kind of strange. But AOC, man, just saying whatever the hell she wants to say. Uh, She's also the one that's been on social media just crying left and right lately, too. So that's been kind of funny. Uh, Let's get into what's trending for the day today. What's trending today? Why the heck not, shall we? There's a deeper issue. As you know, here on the program, we like to unveil the layers of the onion just a little bit more than most other programs, which makes us sometimes boring, sometimes quite entertaining, however you want to interpret it. But uh, headline from CNBC today, jobless claims edged up to 198,000. Now, some media says it's below the 200,000, which means it's still really good with weekly jobless claims. We're getting better. The other side saying, hey, wait a second, it's starting to climb back up again. It's at 198,000 jobless claims week over week as they say that it was up 7,000 from the previous week, uh, just slightly higher than the 195,000 estimate that experts had predicted for the weekly jobless claims. 
there are, and the question is why, and is there a deeper issue here moving forward? Because while we continue to battle with a weekly jobless claim issue, almost 200,000 on a weekly basis claiming unemployment, we have people that are accepting some type of government benefits just peaking over a million every day on a weekly, monthly, daily basis. Uh, and I'm not just talking about like long-term because of like social security because you're retired or because you're disabled. I'm talking people that are actually either below, the, well, not even below the poverty line because that would be near 40, 50% of the population too. We're talking just receiving some sort of government benefit that could be preventable if we were actually having a strong workforce and everybody was back to work. Unemployment, snap and wick, whatever these cases are. And we're hitting over a million all the time, which is kind of scary because the workforce is dramatically smaller than what it has been. And the workforce continues to dwindle as days goes on. Many think it's because of the shrinking boomer age, the uh, baby boomers that are about to go into retirement. And that population is drastically higher than the smaller population, which is a cause for concern because when they do retire, what happens to Social Security and how can we sustain that system when we have less people in the workforce paying for the people that are on it? And that's the way it works, by the way, for those on the other side that's like, no, it's not. When you're paying for it, you're paying into a system. It goes into a little account. It just sits there and accrues your entire life. And then you draw from that when you actually retire. No, that's not the case. Whoever's working now is currently paying for whoever's on it right now. And then when you retire, the workforce coming up behind you is the one that pays for it. So now we have less of a workforce paying for a very large generation that's about to retire in its, in its entirety. And the workforce that's in now that's already smaller doesn't have as much of a work ethic. And I say that in very general uh, watered down terms, because obviously that's not the case for everyone. But there are many of them that don't like to work or at least don't work nearly as hard. And sometimes they don't have to. They've been able to make millions of dollars being social media icons and quote unquote influencers, whatever the hell that means. But there are others that are trying to do the grind and there's just not as many of them in society today is what there used to be. And that could cause an issue moving on down the road because not only are there less of them, but they want to work less and less as well. If you remember this guy from just a couple of months ago, who is a full-time student who works at Starbucks. People wonder why we need a union at Starbucks. And I am literally about to quit. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but like, I really want to. I almost walked out today and I'm crying in the back room right now and I almost cut on the floor. It's just... I like I get I'm like a full-time student I get scheduled for 25 hours a week and then on weekends they schedule me the entire day open to close I'm on the schedule for eight and a half hours both Saturday and Sunday I'm like three and a half hours into my shift there's so many customers and we have four people on the floor all day <laughs> only five people were put on the schedule and somebody had to call out and there are four people running the whole store and there's so many customers and there's possibly scheduled five people <laughs> we only have 13 people employed at this store and there's so many customers and they are good hold on a second I gotta I gotta refocus myself here He's a full-time student. Eddie gets called into work on his days off, and he has to work two eight-and-a-half-hour shifts on the weekends with four other or three other people. Total 13 people at the shop. He just can't do it. It's a very difficult world out there. Making those coffees 
for eight and a half hour shifts. Open to close. <laughs> now, uh, not that I need to brag or anything because that's not the point of this, but uh, we're, anybody work in banking? At, at banking, Andy, really? So I worked at a bank that was inside of a grocery store. And I'm saying this with customer service. If you want to talk about just crazy hours, be a truck driver, be a doctor, be a be in the radio industry, because my days are no less than at least 10 hours every single day, and I'm used to it, and that's a good shift if I don't have to be here any longer than 10 hours a day. I've done my job by being able to actually cut myself off and know how to go home at a decent time, not completely burn out. But let's just take the customer service industry for a second. I was in banking, as most of you know, for a while, worked at one of the banks inside a grocery store which means you're right there for them to see you at all times. The bank that I worked at was open both Saturday and Sunday. We had a 10-hour day on Saturdays, and we had a 5- or 6-hour day on Sunday. And usually for Sundays and Saturdays sometimes, we would only have two people working at the bank, which is what we had to have because we had to have two people to open the vault so we could have a checks and balance system. And imagine, if you will, two people holding down the branch, one of them opening up a checking account that takes anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes for a customer while you're on the teller line. The other one trying to do deposits or handle customer service issues and a line, two lines really for each teller that's going down the grocery line aisle, waiting for you, angry, ready for them to put their deposits in, trying to do it on their lunch break from work or doing their Saturday or weekend shopping. You want to talk about stress. And not mess up someone's bank account to make sure that you're on point with the amount of money going in and out? Yeah, just a little bit. This kid, man, that's the new workforce ready to pay your retirement fund and Social Security. It's the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into it. Thanks for hanging out today for a pre-Friday celebration, 24 minutes past the hour. So we have a workforce that's dwindling. It's getting, I guess it's young-ish now. We want to consider it young. But it's dwindling. The larger generation's retiring, which is going to cause some major issues. But if we have a dwindling workforce, does that mean the economy is going to shrink a little bit? Things are going to kind of reset itself a little bit economically because less people are actually working, meaning less people are contributing to the society. At the same time, the ones that are working and coming up, they want better conditions. And by better conditions, I mean they want to be treated like uh, treated with kit gloves and treated like the princesses that in snowflakes that they may or may not be in society. And again, this is a very general watered down term because obviously not everybody believes that. But when we have kids crying because they're working and on the side and working 25 hours a week while going to school full time. Oh, my dear. In fact, I got to I got to I have to at least give credit to the kid that was crying at the Starbucks because at least he was working while he was going to college. I did not do that. I actually took out more student loans for my living expenses. And that's why I still have close to sixty thousand dollars of student loan debt that I'm going to be paying off for the next while. And it's going to take a while to do that. And I'll get there. But it was my own damn fault for doing that because I chose not to work during college and just take out student loans for my living expenses while out of state, while living in the dorms, while like hanging out and enjoying adult beverages and everything else that we enjoyed doing uh, during that time. So I at least have to give the kid credit. But if you're going to work, to literally sit there in the back of the Starbucks, and I get it, it gets stressful. 
you have to take a breath sometimes. Totally understand that. As I mentioned, as the banker, having a line of 20 people sitting there impatiently wanting to make a deposit while they're doing their errands or on their lunch break, and we have two people working a bank and trying to take care of people as efficiently and possibly as you can, it gets overwhelming. You go in the back room, you take a deep breath, you take a swig of what appears to be water in a nice bottle. I'm joking. You don't do that. <laughs> but uh, you take a swig of water, you take a deep breath, you go out there and you do it again. And that's the retail service. Welcome to it. But if you know, Starbucks has actually been uh, talking to a House committee regarding labor laws because they say that they were working individuals too much, which is why we see Starbucks stores around the nation trying to unionize. Here in the Mid-America region, obviously, we have a lot of aviation in Wichita, where I'm based out of, the company of Spirit Aerosystems that builds a lot of airplanes. They're about ready to go into their negotiations for new contracts for their workers, and they've already voted through their union to potentially unionize and strike if the negotiations don't work out the way, that the way that they want to, because they want better wages, more benefits, so on and so forth. We're starting to see after the uh, snowflake generation or the uh, uh, the helicopter parenting generation, the kids that got the participation trophies, they've gotten everything that they've wanted in their life. They don't want to release that cushy style, and they don't want to have to work their way up in the workforce. So now we're stuck between the tug of war and the rock and the hard place, are we not? We need to grow the workforce because the workforce is dwindling based on the size of the generations that are coming in compared to the ones going out. But the ones that are coming in want better benefits, want higher pay, and want a cushier lifestyle to come automatically in instead of working their way up to that position that their parents and grandparents got to after 20, 30 years of putting it into the companies. So the workforce is changing. It's getting more expensive with less qualifications, and there's less of them to actually do it. What's the future of the economy look like? Because that's kind of weird. And with more individuals getting on social programs day in and day out, we're not only paying for more retirement, we're paying for more social programs for more of a for workforce that doesn't want to even work. And then the ones that do want to work, then we have to pamper them and, and take care of them in, in these special ways that they want to be taken care of in order for them to join the actual workforce. We have a long road ahead, and we have a lot of issues we need to address and figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to handle these moving forward because the economy, and this goes for both employees and for business owners that have been in the workforce for a very long time who own, whether a small mom-and-pop shop or a large corporation, the economy's changing in front of our eyes. And in order for you to survive, you're going to have to stay ahead of it and adjust accordingly in order for you to survive the young generation coming up and going into that workforce. Congressman Bob Ladder, right around the corner. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today. As always, really happy to have this guy back on the program. Been a little bit since we've been able to chat with him. Congressman from the great 5th Congressional District from the state of Ohio. It's Congressman Bob Latta back on the line with us here. Congressman, how are you, my friend? Excellent, my friend. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's good to chat with you. Again, a lot of stuff going on. I mean, we've kicked off 2023 with a bang this year, and there's so many issues that I want to talk to you about. First and foremost, uh, as we Come off of the Biden State of the Union speech, we have the Biden budget proposal. I know that we're still dealing with a debt cap ceiling uh, that we have right now. 
Uh, where are we at when it comes to financial talks? And do you think we could actually still cut some budgetary issues? And with Biden's budget proposal, it looks like we're just going to look at a whole bunch of new social programs coming into the new 2024 fiscal year. Well, and again, uh, the administration and the president, they've got to get into reality here. Yeah. Uh, you know, all they want to talk about is spending more money and raising taxes. And that's not going to work. I, you know, years ago when I was on the budget committee, uh, I kept track of numbers that you and I have talked about. And these numbers have gotten absolutely scary that, uh, you know, I, I kept predicting that by 2032, we'd be paying a trillion dollars just to pay interest on the national debt. I always hate to admit when I'm wrong, but uh, we'll probably, there's a very good chance that by 2027, we'll pay a trillion dollars on the national debt. And when you think about what we have right now to work with, how do you come up with a budget when you're first, you have to start thinking of your third highest payment is just to pay interest on a debt that's out of control. And so when the president keeps talking about wanting to spend more money, it's like uh, you have to say, look, we're $31.5 trillion in debt right now, and uh, we're, not paying, we're not paying that down, and we're, how, how we're going to have to borrow money just to pay the interest. <laughs> That's a problem that I don't think we've ever been in before. We've grown throughout the years, and it really grew substantially over the last uh, past, what, three, four, five administrations in the country, to where now we're, we're really – in debt, near 100, 110% of our entire private sector GDP. When before, Congressman, uh, during the Bush administration, before we even got to Barack Obama, that we kept it. We weren't allowed to spend more than 40% of our GDP. Um, that's kind of a drastic change over the uh, over the years. Well, when you look at just, because what I did was I gave every member in our Republican uh, conference a uh, just a pocket card from 1993 at the beginning of Bill Clinton's term when H.W. left office. You know, our national debt was $3.2 trillion. But then you, when you look at, uh, you know, the massive spending that Barack Obama did, he doubled the debt, and we were at 14167 yeah. And But uh, you just look at these numbers, and it, it's just like it's just skyrocketing. And this is something that you don't hear people talking about, uh, especially in Washington on the other side. But we have to because, again, we don't have this money, and then the because again, when you start saying we're going to raise taxes, all you have to do is look at history, and history shows that when taxes were reduced, more people were working, and you actually expanded the tax base. And all we're going to do is see uh, taxes go up, more people unemployed. That's what the Fed's saying right now. You know, their philosophy is they keep raising the interest rate is, you know, putting one to two million Americans out of work. And that's not what I call a winning proposition. As we go through the discussions and for what you've heard, is there any chance of any type of spending cuts? I know that the uh, certain conservative groups there in Congress are working at trying to cut some, not just currently, but also in the future, so that way we can actually try and get a little bit of this under control. Well, you know, I think every Republican and on the Republican side, we have 222 are all saying, we, you know, we can't continue this way. We've got to, we've got to reduce, you know, our spending. And, uh, you know, you got to slow that growth of, uh, of what's going on. And I think that, you know, everybody understands that this is like if you bought a house that uh, you shouldn't have bought because it cost too much, but it might take you 30 years to pay off. Well, it's going to take you 30 years. But in this case, we've got to get into a plan how we're going to restrict our spending to try to get this thing under control in a decade because it's not going to happen overnight because, again, you know, th- this is the scary thing. When you look at the number, that we could be $45 trillion in debt by 2033, and we're $31.5 trillion today. 
In 10 years, we're going to go to that. And there's a potential that we could be looking at $150 trillion in debt by the year 2050. And we're in an unsustainable part right now. And you look at that down the road. So when they always say that your you your kids and your grandkids are going to pay for this, we've actually entered the world saying that look, if you don't think you're going to be alive in the next three to five years, you're going to pay for this. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Now let's get into the concerns. Many investors are talking about a potential recession for 2023. The uh, the uh, Treasury Department continues to raise interest rates in the nation. And now we see the banks. We see Silicon Valley Bank in California. We see the bank in New York. We see uh, First Republic Bank that just got bought out. We see banks even uh, over in Europe that are needing to be bailed out because they're concerned about shutting down. Is that a cause for concern, not only with the debt that we have and with the spending and with the in, uh, inflation that we have, but is that a cause for concern about a potential recession for this year? Well, I think when you, the first thing you have to look at is what the, uh, uh, what the Fed did. Uh, especially when you look out with the uh, the bank in California, that uh, when you said that when they say it out there that they're going to make sure that every depositor is made whole, uh, well, pardon me, but I, I think when I walk into banks at home, there's a little sign on the door that says your deposits are insured up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> yep. because all these banks pay into the FDIC insurance fund, and when all of a sudden when you look at how much money we could actually be covered by this, so. Is the Fed going to say that they're going to try to cover it uh, down the road? That's impossible. And uh, so I think what the Fed has done has made a real mistake because they're saying, well, you know what, we're going to just say that these uh, too big to fail banks, we're going to cover. But what about the small banks? If you are, if one of our little banks on Main Street back in Northwest Ohio Failed, failed miserably, like what happened with the the, uh, the bank in California. Do you think the FDIC would have come in and the Fed would have saved them? I don't think so. Right. And then all those depositors that uh, were over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, not like tens of millions. I think eighty-five to ninety percent of all of the depositors were over a quarter million dollars. So I think the, the Fed has, uh, you know, set a bad, a really bad example what they're going to do. But at the same time, when you talk about recession, that uh, you know, as the as the Fed keeps raising the interest rate and putting more people out of work, at some point in town, time, we all know that inflation uh, and recession, when you have those two things come together, it's going to be bad bad for the American people. It is going to be bad for the American people. And I'm glad you brought that up with the FDIC because I don't know why we stick to these rules of yeah. You, it's, I mean, I was a banker and I was a banker in Ohio for a little bit, and even said uh, reminding people that hey, if you open up a bank account, don't put more than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a bank account, and if you have more than that, then put it in another bank so that way you can insure it. Because if you lose your money, if something happens, God forbid, then you're not going to be able to compensate more than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that's insured from the FDIC. This mindset of they're too big to fail and we need to go ahead and bail these guys out because they're the tech industry, because they're our big donors. But like you said, the small bank in every country, in every state across the country, uh, sorry guys, but if you close, we're not going to do anything for you. Uh, it shows to me that we have this real big push right now to try to centralize more of the financial institutions at the federal level for more control. And then we'll go back into what, uh, what uh, Joe Biden wanted to do. A while ago, which was, oh, well, now we have more control. We can monitor every transaction coming in and out of your account so we can make sure that you're paying your right amount of taxes. I can't say pretty much, but everything this administration touches goes goes sour. (laughs) And, uh, again, uh, these deals that are put together over a weekend, and, uh, you know, I'll never forget the crisis we had in 2008 
with all the the banks. And I remember a uh, former FDIC chairman meeting with us and telling you don't have to do a lot, shut down a lot of these banks because what they had at that time was something called well they still have it's called mark to market that they. Uh, uh, let's just say that you have, you're holding assets in your bank that were worth a hundred dollars. Well, if let's just say the circumstances today is that you couldn't sell it or do something, but you know when the federal government comes in and says, well, if you can't sell it today for a hundred dollars, it's worthless. Yeah. And so you, you know this is what I'm worried about again. We're going to see this massive uh, uh, takeover. And you know when you look at the massive amount of money that was spent, because oh yeah, but we made money out of it. But the problem was is that we had a massive situation across this country that we don't want to get back into. And again, we want people to you know not put their dig a hole in the backyard and put their money in a, in a tin can. They need to know that their banks uh, down the street are safe. It's a very scary situation. We're talking with Congressman Bob Latta from the 5th District of Ohio. Let's shift gears a little bit to, and this will tie in eventually to the to TikTok and social media that I know you've been working uh, a lot on personally, but uh, let's talk about the debts that we have as a nation. Is China as a country still buying a lot of our debts and buying a lot of those bonds as a nation? Because I know that was an issue a while back, and the concern was, is China going to own us when they own the majority of our debt as a nation? Well, Andy, you asked the uh, question that I am looking at right now. Uh, you know, if you're anybody that's listening out there, if they want to go into a search engine and put this in U.S. debt held by foreign countries, you can bring up a spreadsheet that shows the U.S. debt over, over a 12-month period of time with every country and how much we owe them. And one of the things that I've been watching over the years is how much debt that China holds of ours. You know, and it's been well over a trillion dollars. But interesting enough, over the last year, China is now reducing the amount that they hold in this country. And I think the last number I saw was uh, for January it was like 859 billion. So the question you have to ask yourself: How come the Chinese are starting to uh, divest themselves of uh, U.S. Treasuries? That's interesting. I was not aware of that. So they're buying less. And that really begs the question on why, because you would think they'd want to continue to buy more of it unless they don't feel it's secure, maybe? Well, I, you know, I'm going to leave that up to everybody else. I've got my own uh, thoughts on that. But I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to watch. And if every month that the Chinese are not buying, and I, I have a five-year look back on these sheets, and just over the last year, they have really started to make sure that they're holding less of U.S. Treasuries. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. There we are, my friends. Last few minutes here of the program for a pre-Friday celebration. Thanks again to Congressman Bob Latta, 5th District of Ohio, coming on the program, as we always love chatting with him. As usual, we didn't get to play all the interview. Highly recommend you listen to the rest of that interview because it was some really great content. We go into TikTok and China, sorry, China and Russia as well. Other issues going on in Washington, D.C. He did blow my mind, though. I was not aware that China is backing off on buying off our debts. Is that a cause for concern 
on top of everything else we already talked about throughout the hour as well. But if China's not buying our debts, what are we going to do about it? Now, we have our debt ceiling that we've already hit, and we always try to uh, offload our debts onto other people because that's what a responsible government does is we don't pay for them. We just pawn them off onto somebody else. It's almost like a millennial with a student loan uh, co-signing. We're like, I really don't feel like paying it this week because I need to pay for my uh, cafe latte from Starbucks. Well, uh, they're trying to unionize themselves with the owners going to Congress and trying to defend their labor rights and the companies of Starbucks trying to unionize all over the place. So I'm just going to pawn off my student loan bills to my parents, which if you remember, what, one in four millennials of the millennial generation still which they're getting into their late 20s, 30s, early 40s, still have their parents paying for at least one bill a month for themselves. Sounds like a pretty stable, financially secure type of generation right there, doesn't it? Now, at that same time, that's exactly what the federal government's doing, pawning off their debts into other countries and then saying, oh, yeah, our debts are great. Don't worry. We got everything under control here. And now we run into our debt ceiling just months into uh, the fiscal year, and we have a long way to go until the end of the year. And now we need to discuss, do we raise the debt ceiling? Do we try and cut spending? What's the plan moving forward? Democrats just say, obviously, we just have to raise the debt ceiling. No questions asked, man. Let's raise it up above that 110, 120% of the GDP that we already have in spending. Uh, And then we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Totally fine. No issues whatsoever. Republicans are saying, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should like back off a little bit. Maybe we should actually pay some debts down. Maybe we should cut some of our spending and get things back under control. And the butting of the heads, which Kevin McCarthy said he'd be able to work out. I'm not quite seeing it yet. And now, thankfully, this is all hands on deck for what we need to do. A call to action for all Republicans in elected positions. We better be doing a PR and uh, a publicity campaign almost like we're in an election season right now because Joe Biden and the Democrats are not allowing the conversation to continue, waiting for this to run out of time and then say either raise the debt ceiling or else we're all going to die. That's kind of the mindset we're in right now. We're all going to die because of you! (laughs) Kevin McCarthy sitting on CNBC just a couple days ago. We've made no progress. And Joe, you know me, I'm always an optimist. I'm not now. They asked to pass just to raise the debt ceiling. Well, they control the Senate. They can't pass it in the Senate. Even Democrats in the House tell me they would not vote for that. So that's off the table. The president and I met more than two months ago. Since that time, he has misled the whole Congress and the country. When we were together at the prayer breakfast, he says we're going to sit down the next day, told the entire Congress that we're going to meet. At the Democratic retreat, he told the Democrats that, they, that we were planning meetings. He's never had one meeting. It's been more than two months. Time is ticking. Now I'm very concerned about where we are. Look, we've came with an idea of being very reasonable, responsible, to limit, save, and grow. We've picked ideas that Democrats have for. Limit the amount of spending. That's what Joe Manchin says. The outgrowth, uh, non-defense, just cap how fast you can grow. Find savings. We have billions of dollars of unspent COVID money that sat dormant for more than two years. You can grab some of that back. Find our ability to grow this economy through the economy, through energy. Maybe you do something when it comes to securing our border. Maybe you do work requirements, things that he voted for, for um, as a senator, which Bill Clinton put in, for those with no dependents. These are ideas that we have more than $4 trillions in savings. And now the economy is even a worse position because of his extreme spending levels, what they took with all Democrats in, in power. 
I am more concerned than I have ever been to be able to get this debt ceiling done because he refuses to meet with anybody and then misleads the American public and the markets aren't seeing that. There's a purpose for that. And the purpose is we're not going to negotiate. And the more we negotiate and actually sit down and talk, the more foolish that we actually look as a Democrat party who refuses to do any type of spending cuts that are substantial in order to get our country back on track. So what we're going to do is we're going to put the blinders on, do what Democrats and politicians normally do in D.C., is not address the issue, forget it's there until we're weeks away from the actual shutdown, weeks away from us defaulting on the debt for the first time, destroying the economy, and then saying we have to raise it right now. It's a crisis right now, the Fast and Furious, or else we're all going to die. We're going to default on the debt. We're going to default on everything, and it's all going to be your fault because you're unwilling to do what needs to be done. That's the Democrat plan, and I say it's all hands on deck for Republicans to do the PR to show that we're willing to talk now so they look foolish at the end of the day. Until then, let's do it again on Friday. Have a great day. This is The Voice of Reason.